just tuned in to join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. And we're so honored that you would join us in the opening of God's Word. Today is going to be a marvelous day in the Word of God as Pam opens up the very pages that give us life and give us purpose. So let's join Pam now as she reveals the truth of the day. Right at the top, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. Um, if not, look at your neighbor if you didn't come prepared and say, I'm going to need a piece of that paper you've got and a pen. But clouds right at the top of your note sheet, clouds without water. Clouds without water. When we open up the book of Jude, when we open up the book of Jude, and I, I love to teach from the book of Jude, but I've never taught on this little section, I mean, on, on what we're going to pull out, the clouds without water. We kind of have to look at some other stuff to get it in context for our points. But the letter of Jude is, uh, Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. And the letter of Jude is often neglected in Bible study. It's often neglected, but we cannot and we must not ignore its burning message. It has a burning message, especially for a time such as this. So as Jude starts, and it's only one chapter, Jude's only one chapter long, and so we're going to, for time's sake, I'm going to jump into verse 3. Because Jude identifies himself, but he doesn't say, hey, me and Jesus, you know, we're, we, we, we're half-brothers. We have the same um, mother. And he could have taken that stance, but he didn't. He refers to himself as a bondservant. But when you get down to verse 3, he says, Beloved, love those who are loved. And he's talking, now listen, he's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. So this is the, the context, the understanding the, of the audience that we need to know. He said, I was making every, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. He said, this was, I mean, a strenuous thing. And I'm, and I'm writing out all this stuff about our common salvation. And it's like, God said, you can't send that. He said, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. He says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness, and that's just sinning. That's just doing whatever you want. And they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's writing to the saints. And when, it, when he says they deny our master and Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about in the way that they live. They deny him by their lifestyle. They deny him in action, in deeds. Yet in the same way, these men could be translated people also by dreaming defile the flesh. These were people that come in and said, I've had these dreams, I've had these visions, and not that people can't have that, but you got to beware of that, that kind of stuff. He said, and they reject authority. They don't like to be told what to do. They don't like any authority over them. That's a sign right there. That's a red flag right there. And they revile angelic majesties. I wouldn't want to revile, I wouldn't want to tick an angel off, would you? I wouldn't want to do that. That's what revile means in today's lingo, to tick off an angel. I would not want to do that. And it says, woe to them. He gives this warning, woe to them. 
For they've gone the way of Cain, and for pay, they've rushed headlong into the air of Balaam, and they've perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now he's reaching back into the Old Testament right here. Anger, idol worship, uh, self-fulfilling things. Um, Korah was rebellious. He, he kept and hid things that he shouldn't have. He disobeyed God. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. And those love feasts are not what you think. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, and here it is, jumped out off the page to me, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Clouds without water. That's how he sums up these type of people that had crept in unnoticed. So I've got four points for you. Point number one, what can we see here about clouds without water? What do we need to understand about the audience too that he's speaking to? First of all is our tribe. Our tribe. I've got a t-shirt somebody gave me. It says, I love my tribe. I love my tribe. Our tribe. Because he says, he starts off this letter with, we have a common salvation. We're, we're a body. The hand can't say to the other hand, I don't like you, go away. The foot can't say to the hand, I don't want to be on the same, in the same body with you. I'm just going to go off here by myself. No, we're one body. He says, your tribe, do you understand the community of the believers that you're part of? Our common salvation, he says, our common salvation. Romans 6, 5, and I don't, I don't think you have, you don't have these scriptures, but I'm going to read them. It's not on the PowerPoint. It says, if we have become united in him, with him, with Jesus, in the likeness of his death. And I want you to get this verse. If we've been united with Jesus in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, I used to think till I studied this passage that that means one day when we get to heaven. But no, no. This is speaking of if we have been united with Jesus in his death, saying, I believe in his death, I, I, I've, given, I've given my life to Jesus, and I've surrendered to him. He said, if we're united in that profession of faith, then we need to be united in the resurrection of Jesus, the life of his resurrection. In other words, living like Christ, a new life that's come out. We should be united in that. In other words, if I say that I'm a Christian... If we've been united in that profession saying that, okay, if I've come into the church and I'm saying I'm a believer, then I need to be united, I should be united in the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, the new life. I don't come in to the body of Christ and live any old way that I want to. We should have a common union not only in our profession, but in our lifestyle. If I say I'm a Christian is what he's saying. If you come into the body of Christ and we're united in his death, 
then we ought to be united in his resurrection, in the life that we live. And he says, so these people, our tribe, do you understand what you should be in your tribe, in the body of Christ, in the, in the community of believers? It says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In other words, when you come into the body of Christ, we should all be on the same page. Now, I'm not talking about things like how we take up the offering, the style of music. I'm not talking about, that's not what he's talking about. Our number one goal should be the same. Our purpose, we're all headed to the same place. He said, so we should have the same common goal. And that goal is be, to be like Christ so that we can win all the more to Christ. That we are about building not our own kingdoms. There's enough of that in the body of Christ as it is. Not building our own platforms, our own kingdoms, our own ministries, but building the kingdom of God. He said, make my joy complete by understanding what your role is in the tribe. You're part of this tribe, and you ought to all be united in that. United in that. Make my joy complete. There's a quote here <clears throat> that I love by Spurgeon. He says, those who are in Christ are more near of kin than they know of. And their intense unity and deep essential truth is a greater force than most of them imagine. He said, only give it scope and it will work wonders. I want you to soak on that again. Those who are in Christ are more near of kin than they know of. And their intense unity in deep essential truth is a greater force than most of them imagine. Only give it scope, in other words, give it reach, Enlarge that unity, and it will work wonders. That's your tribe. Number two, we have our tribe, and I want us to see <clears throat> our exhortation. Our exhortation. Boy, the devil doesn't like this tonight. Our exhortation. He exhorts them in something. He says, I want you, knowing that you're part of this tribe, to contend earnestly for the faith. Now listen, the problem is, while we can't contend earnestly for the faith, is we're too busy contending with one another. That word contend, let me give you what it means. It means to agonize over, to wrestle hard, to work hard and diligent for the faith. He said, you contend, you agonize over the, the faith. Listen, the faith. That's meaning the common faith of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. You agonize over that. You wrestle hard over that. You work hard and diligent for that faith right there. That common faith that we have. He said, that's where our contending ought to be. Not against one another, which is so often what happens. The faith doesn't mean our own personal belief. Hear me when I say this. 
We live in a very self-driven generation. I need you to hear me. I need you to see me. I need you to validate me. I need you to, to accept what I'm saying is reality, is truth. I write my own truth, my own reality. The phrase, the faith, the faith here, it speaks of the essential truths of the gospel that all true Christians hold in common. You see, this contending over faith, you know what I wrote in my Bible? Lord, by this passage, I do not want a casual faith. Faith is never to be casual. Faith is not faith on Sunday. It's not a Sunday morning faith. He says, it's not a casual faith that you were brought to Jesus. You're to contend for that faith, for the kingdom of heaven. And that contending is going to be hard. It's going to be sacrificial. And guess what? Here's the biggest news flash for the church today. It is not about us. It is not about us. It's about Him. It's about him. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. There's a story in the book, Habits of the Heart, which is an excellent read, by Robert Bella. And his colleagues, they wrote about an interview they did with a young nurse named Sheila Larson. And they described her in this process of Habits of the Heart and these interviews they were doing. They described her in the research they did as representing many Americans' experience and views on religion. Okay, so this is a common theme. So they're, they're pulling out this one story about Sheila. Speaking about her own faith and how it operated in her life, this is what she said. And this is our generation today. I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time that I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It is, listen, Sheilaism. It's just my own little voice. That's how she described her faith. I don't need to go to church, she says. And listen, and she's right. But you would be in, you would be in um, rebellion against God's word to be out of God's house. Because he says, don't forsake the assembly of the brethren together. Their Hebrews writer writes that for us. And the Sabbath is to be the day where we worship God. And it is not our own views. And a true faith, listen, will, and she says, my faith's carried me a long way. It will not carry you out of the house of God. Not faith. It won't carry you to believe and dictate your own religion or your own views. That's not the faith of this community that Jude is writing about. You see, it's an individualistic faith that's very has become very popular in the in Christendom today, very popular in the religious world. But the idea that we can or should put together our own faith is a sin. It's a sin. Christianity, what Jude wants his audience to understand, is based on one faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. One faith. So what do you see as the striving in God's house today, in God's in the community of our worship here? In your classes? 
There should be no striving with each other. Should all be contending. What contending are you seeing? Or, or what are you striving for individually in your tribe? Is it all about you? Or is it about the kingdom of heaven? See, now I have the teacher has to ask herself these questions. Because I don't want to be clouds without water. I don't want to be a cloud without water. But I fear that we have a lot of those today. Philippians 1.27, Paul goes on to write, he says, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or if I remain absent, and he said, just the testimony of you, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's Philippians 1.27. And this quote right here, and he might have this, John MacArthur, says, Christ-likeness is the substance of spiritual dedication. If we want to be like Christ, and then we're going to have to have a dedication to the spiritual things of God's Word and His way and His will, and not our own. And most, sad to say, I'm going to tell you, most Christians aren't willing to have this kind of sacrifice. This, fine, this kind of dedication. We might be dedicated to coming on Sundays. Might be dedicated to, okay, let me give my tithe. But that to become like Christ, are we dedicated to that? It was a hard day, and it is a hard lesson. When God began to show me, Pam, you're dedicated to church. You're dedicated to... Um, the, the Bible, your Bible study, you're dedicated to prayer, you're dedicated to ministry, you're dedicated to loving people, to serving people, but how much out of all of that are you really dedicated to becoming Christ-like? Like Christ. Because if I'm not, when I'm serving and somebody doesn't appreciate you, or something bad is said about you, or a, a situation happens that's uncomfortable, if you're not aiming to be like Christ, then you'll offend, you'll quit, you'll stomp off in a huff. Don't think this teacher hadn't stomped off in a huff. I can get in my flesh. Nobody has to teach me how to get in my flesh. It comes natural. But how many of us can say in here tonight that I'm dedicated to becoming like Christ in the way that I treat people, in my service to them, and how I listen to them? When they're talking to me, are they the most important person in that moment? Am I ministering to the soul? Or am I thinking about what i got to do next? You know, ADHD, you have to really work hard at that. You really, really do. But how much of it, because I, listen, I'm sold out to God's calling, but I have to ask myself daily, am I sold out to becoming like Christ? Like Jesus in all things? Because if I'm not, it won't matter what else that I did. It won't matter how big a ministry that I build quote, it won't matter how many Bible studies that I complete, it won't matter 
how many people that I think I've been able to reach, that won't matter. How much am I like Jesus today? And I want to be. Number three, he gives us our warning. We have our tribe, we have our exhortation, but number three, we have our warning. And this is the warning. He says certain persons, they're creepers, is what he says. They have crept in unnoticed, these creepers. Those who were long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. We read this verse, and they deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They deny Him and how they live. Crept in. Let me give you what crept in means. It means to slip in quietly by a side door. To slip in quietly by a side door. To come in without notice, to creep. Creepers. Creepers. Some few years back, <clears throat> I was living on a farm at the time and uh, loved that little farm. And I came out the front door one day and there was a, a, a young man. And he was in my bushes. And I didn't know him. And he was digging around and got on his hands and face and he's digging around in the bushes. And I thought, well, he's creeping. He was looking in the windows and this is broad daylight. And I said, what are you doing? What are you doing in there? And he said, I just, I put something here a while back and I got to come get it. And I said, there's nothing in there. Now listen, I had just put pine straw down. I knew there was nothing in those bushes. And I had lived there for a while. Creeping. Coming in unnoticed. You see, this is what he's saying. There's people that have come in and this is what makes them so dangerous. Because they're unnoticed. They're unnoticed. To come in, this means to creep without notice, to take a side door in, to come in because of personal, listen, opportunity. In other words, they're an opportunist. I see an opportunity. Oh, that's a big church over there. This is an example. That's a big church over there. I want to start, I want, I want to start doing this, and that church can benefit me or my business or my plans or my goals, so I'm going to just go into that church... And they won't know my agenda, I have a hidden agenda, because that can benefit me. That's what that means. That's what that means. To come in for the sake of personal gain or self-promotion. To advance inward with impure motives. Impure motives. But this is what makes them so dangerous, Jude said, because they've come in and you've not even noticed them. No one noticed that they were dangerous. Listen, they didn't come in... These people, he says, don't, they don't come in saying, danger, I'm a, false, I'm a false follower. I'm out for myself. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. They don't come in saying that. It's not a warning that they're giving. Some of you are too young to know that. But they're, they're too, they're, listen, they're, they're, they're not obvious. They don't come in announcing that they have a hidden agenda. They don't come in announcing that. Satan, Spurgeon said this, Satan knows very well, right well, that one devil in the church can do far more than a thousand devils outside her bounds. <clears throat> one devil in the church is all it takes. Someone out for personal gain. And listen, and that is the devil all day long. Yeah. 
out for personal gain. God's will, I love this nugget, God's will may not be the perfection of the true believer's life, but it is the direction of it. It's to be the direction of our life, God's perfect will. It is to be the direction of our life, God's will. What is God's will? And I've tried to train myself over the years. I don't always succeed in this, but I I try earnestly, earnestly to stop and say, what is God's will in this right here? What would the will of God be before I speak? What would the the will of God, listen, according to his word, what is that going to be? Because one's never going to contradict the other. What God's word is his will. So what, what does his word say right here? Listen, there's sometimes that I have stomped my foot because I've not wanted to respond or I've not wanted to, to, to follow God's word in things. I've not liked it. I have not liked it. So the warning that he gives here, he said, your warning, they have crept in. They've crept in. You've not noticed them. And they're wreaking havoc. It's the company we keep, which is our last point here tonight, our company. And here we're getting into clouds without water because he starts breaking it down for us. He said, these men, our company, he said, by dreaming, by coming up with these things, they defile the flesh. They're rejecting authority. He says, they've gone the way of Cain and those things. We read that, but I want us to focus in on verse 12. He says, there, these are people who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear. Love feast in, in, in the early church, they would meet weekly. They would meet regularly to have these meals together to show and extend the love, listen, of their tribe. And they referred to them in biblical times as love feasts because they came together to show the love of God to one another, to hold each other up. They ate together and they called it love feast. And he said, these people come to your love feast because they're part of your tribe. You've not noticed them when they've come in, who they really are. You've not taken the time to. And they've come in among you in these love feasts to sit down and eat at the same table with you. And they're caring for themselves. They're looking out for number one, he said. They are clouds without water, carried along by winds. They have no fruit. Listen, and they're not grounded. They're not rooted. What can cause more damage in a church are those who have come in with these selfish-driven motives, immature, driven by whatever goals they have, and they're put in positions because no one knew it. They wreak havoc in a church. They eat up people along the way. They destroy people. They run over them like a bulldozer to get their way, to accomplish their plans. Listen, and I've been, I've been in churches where, where we've had those. And he says, they sit among you, and they take, but they don't give. They're clouds without water. He goes on to say in verse 16, they're grumblers. They're grumblers. I wish I could stand before you and say I've never grumbled. I would be lying if I, if I did. He said, they grumble and they find fault. 
If I ask right now, do you know, other than yourself, do you know anyone that you worship with that finds fault in everything, that grumbles about everything? Nothing can please them. Nothing's perfect. Nothing's right. Nothing's good enough. Complainers. I think we could all name some, right? He said, this, these are clouds without water. They take and take and take, but they don't give anything. They don't give. They just only want to receive. He said they grumble. 1 Corinthians 15.33 is one of the first verses I made my daughters memorize, especially when they became teenagers. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company. I pray this prayer, part of this for my grandchildren, my little tin cupcakes every day. Protect them from bad company. Let them have wisdom beyond their years to know that that is not good company right there. I pray it for my lit baby's children. Let it know that that's not good company. And he said, bad company has come into the body of Christ. They've come into the body of Christ. And he said, and this company that you keep, you need to be aware of what you're, what you're, who you're hanging out with, who you're eating at the table with. You need to understand that, and you need to take the, the measure. So clouds without water. If we were to look at clouds without water, what could we say about them? Well, they're good for nothing. They're good for nothing. They bring no life-giving rain. They hold no life within them. They block out the light. They block out the light. They have no life-giving water. But boy, they'll block the light out all day long. That's clouds without water. They exist, listen, not to give. They exist only for themselves. Only for themselves. She said, Pam, that's a hard reality. I know it is. They exist only for themselves. And he said, they're like, in those verses that we just read, and I stopped short of it, he said, they're like wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like the foam that you see rolling in with the waves. Isaiah 57.20, he said this, Isaiah 57.20, he said, but the wicked, they're like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. He's describing a scene, and if you've ever walked on the shore after a storm, all the junk that's on the shoreline, he said when they get stirred up, that's all they do is they just bring the junk. They just bring the junk, these clouds without water. And I love this. I love this nugget right here. Busyness does not mean correctness. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're right, that you're doing the right thing, that you're correct. Busyness does not mean correctness. So let me give you, I don't know if these are on the screen, these eight things they are, Deb, thank you. Say, so Pam, how can I know if I'm a cloud without water? How can I know if or recognize those who are clouds without water? How can I know that? Because we're not to, we're not to, accept that, embrace that. He's giving it as a warning to us. 
Number one, they're takers of life rather than givers of life. They're users. Do you give life? Or do you just see people as being able to use them to get to the next, from point A to point B? How can it benefit me? Is that your first question you ask yourself? So they're takers of life rather than givers. And number two, they're self-driven and self-absorbed. Self-driven, self-absorbed. Meaning the conversation's always going to be about them. They're driven by what they want to be driven by, what's, what pleases them, what their agenda is, what their goal is, what their plan is. Number three, they use others to carry out their own desires. In other words, I have this big dream that God's called me to do, but I'm going to expect you to help me make it come true. You have an obligation to help me because God's called me to do this. Or this is what I want to do and you need to help me be successful. Help me be successful. Isn't that a sad life to live? It's a sad life to live. But yet Jude's writing to the body of Christ saying, you're full of these kind of people. We have them in the body of Christ. He said, and they come in unnoticed. Unnoticed. Number four, they're complainers. They point out what's wrong. We've said this, but I want you to write it down rather than what it's right. If you are the kind that notices what's wrong before you notice what's right, then you are a grumbler by nature. If you came in tonight and you looked around and you saw what was wrong rather than what's right. See, by, by me, this my personality is to come in and I'll say, oh, this is so pretty, but you know, this is a woman. We really could have used another tree here and we could have used something else over there. If that's your personality, if that's your instinct to point out what's wrong first rather than what's right, then you need to confront yourself in the mirror with that. This is clouds with no water. Five, they have a high value of themselves, and this is what I mean. Wouldn't, they wouldn't make it without me mentality. I don't know what they ever did before I got here. <laughs> Y'all are laughing, but it's true. It's true. I don't know what they ever did. How did they make it without me? How did, what did they do before I arrived on the scene? They have a very high value of themselves, clouds with no water. Number six, they manipulate. They're manipulators. You say, Pam, how do they do that? They flatter or they deceive. They deceive and maybe coming up and may acting like they're interested in you. Or they want to help you and really they have a hidden agenda. Or they flatter you to gain an advantage. You say, Pam, people really do that? Yes. Sad to say they do. The clouds without water. They taint, number seven, this is, the, this, is what, this is the one that makes me angry. They taint the gospel. They taint it. They take away its purity. They make it about something that the gospel isn't, that they put the gospel over here to the side. And it's about, listen, it's about um, activities or it's about, uh, it could be about numbers or it could be about any other thing but the gospel. They taint 
the gospel. They taint the gospel. And our last one, they do not honor the grace given to them. They do not honor the grace given to them. In other words, they have been given such grace, but they don't want to extend grace. They're not gracious. Thank you, Crystal. That wild choir leaving. You see, he, he refers to them as wandering stars. You know what a wandering star is? Uh, have you ever seen a shooting star? They're like comets streaking through the sky. They're just, whew. they might, you know, they might cause a scene, a stir, and they might catch somebody's notice, but they burn out very quickly. They burn out very quickly. And you see a star like that up in the darkness, God put the stars there to show, to be a sign to us, to light up the darkness, but a, a wandering star can't be trusted. It's not stable. It's not a constant. It's not steady. It will disappoint. It will mislead. A wandering star. Somebody's slapping somebody over there. I like it. You see, and, and they're useless, listen, but they're untrustworthy. We have a lot of shooting stars in the body of Christ today. In our tribes. And they slip in unnoticed. And they have hidden agendas. They're users. And I know that they're a mission field too. But this is what I want to ask you tonight. How many of these things would you check off for yourself? Are you a cloud with no water? I don't want to be a cloud that has no water. I'm not asking you if you're a false teacher or anything like that, but we can all, I think, be clouds without water not giving life. And I always do a lot. I try to self-reflect in everything, but self-reflection, we're coming to the end of the year. And we're a new year is just on the horizon. So if you had to assess the cloud that you are, what would it be? Are you a life giver? Do you need to work on that critical spirit? Do you need to retrain yourself and you know I, I really do I, you know manipulation at its core if we had to give a definition of what manipulation is is to deceive you're a deceiver if you're manipulating so are you fault finder are you the good finder clouds without water are you giving life to those who stand in front of you I want to be I want to be a life giver I want, to, I want to be full of life-giving water. So I can't do that if I'm out of God's Word. The most important thing that you can do, listen, outside of your personal time of prayer with God and, and asking Him, make me more like Christ, that's your Bible study. You're not going to become like Christ apart from Bible study. You're just not. And I'm proud of this class. I know we're very low tonight, but, you know, it's the holidays and it's what happens when we miss two weeks in a row. 
But I'm very proud of this class because the majority of you, you have been in here a while and you love, and in fact, you grumble. It's a good grumbling. When are we starting Bible study back? We need a Bible study. <laughs> and it's because of, listen, it's because of this class, the journey class has been around 15 years, 16 years. Yeah, however old the, uh, the branch is. The building itself. Not the church over there, but the building itself. And when I would finish one Bible study, they would demand another. <laughs> you better give us another Bible study. Okay, I'm going to study and write. So it's because of this class and the hunger that God... You, you put people in God's Word to really study God's Word, and it usually, 90% of the time, it will create a fire in them. And they won't be satisfied after that with anything less. Once they get the meat of God's Word, they don't want the milk. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much. God, we can just sit here all night and count your blessings. And God, never reach that final number. So God, thank you for your many blessings and your countless blessings. God, thank you for the life-giving truth of your word. I, I pray that we would choose every day intentionally to be clouds with water, life-giving clouds, who give shade for the weary, who give life-giving waters for the thirsty. So God, would you help us to become the people you want us to become? Would you expose any areas that we need to work on? God, we're part of a tribe, a miraculous tribe, that's been formed through the nails of Calvary. So God, we have a common denominator, a bond, an eternal bond. I pray that you would cultivate a love for each other, a love for you first and foremost, a love for your word. So God, that we would help each other to become those people you want us to be. So God, thank you for this precious time. Thank you for your people that came out tonight. God, we're so grateful to you be all the glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. Here at JBOP Ministries, we're so honored that you would join us for the reading of God's Word. We pray that today's message has been an encouragement to your soul. Join us next time for Join the Word with Pam Jenkins. God bless y'all.